Welcome to the 50th episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer. My name's Alicia. My name's Greg. And I did not realize this was our 50th episode. I didn't either until you just said that. Big 5-0. Buck. Buck. How are you doing? I don't know. You don't know? Are you feeling a little, a little weird? I feel really weird. Yeah? Like your head's in a vice grip? It's not even a vice grip. I feel like I'm in a tunnel. You might have an ear infection. But both ears? It's possible. That'd be whack. Yeah. Well, it's been a pretty eventful week. Yeah, I guess you could say that, for sure. (laughs) It has. We had our first water leak in the house and our adventures as homeowners. Congratulations. Congratulations to us. All taken care of, for the most part. You got to go on a camping trip? Kind of. Kind of. More like an outdoor hotel. Outdoor hotel. It was still nice. I smashed my toe and broke it. You sure did. While you were on your camping trip. Can't leave you alone. Not even for a second. Last time you left, I fell down the stairs. I need to get you like a bubble to live in. Yeah. When I'm gone. And one that covers my feet. Like I have to roll around in it. I can't just like have my feet out. No, it needs to be like, you know when they have the the ones that go on water? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You need one one of those? Yeah, I think I do. It's not looking good. Scout can just push you (laughs) Push me along. Yeah. (laughs) Well, at least we have beer. We still got beer. We, we got still beer. got horror. We still got horror. We watched, in my opinion, a damn good horror movie. I have to agree with you on the second round. You convinced me. You brought me back. It's you a good one. You brought me into the fold. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. What are you drinking? Me? You. I am drinking a Enjoy By some other such date. Enjoy By series. It's like September 6th, I believe. From who? From Stone Brewery, none Uh, other. Of course. Just a beautiful IPA with their delicious fresh hops and glorious maltiness. And you love the Enjoy Bias because they're usually super, super fresh, right? Mm Mm-hmm. How's that treating you? Oh, that's real nice. Yeah? Real nice. Can you try? I love their Enjoy Bias series, man. They are fresh. I'll give them that. And they smell so good. They are good. What are you drinking? Very bitter. I can't even see through that. Oh, yeah. I got... I got a stout, Greg. You got I have been waiting for stout season, and I decided I don't want to wait any longer. I'm done waiting. It's completely opaque. I love it. In a turn of events, I am also drinking a beer from the Stone Brewery. This is one I wanted to try for a while, but I never bought it because it was expensive. But it looks so good. This is the Woot Stout, and it is an imperial stout brewed with pecans, wheat, and rye quarter-aged in bourbon barrels, and it is 11.5%. You always go over the bangers. I do. I you, really do. You either go like light and crispy or just balls to the walls. I know what I like in a beer. Oh, wow. It's good. 
Uh-uh. It's very good. It's almost too strong for me. Too strong? Well, it's stone. What do you mean? What do you mean by strong? <laughs> it's almost bitter. Oh no! Taste it. You'll you'll like it. Well, it also has a lot of alcohol in it. It'll do. I like that. Yeah, I knew you would. <laughs> wow, that's good. That's a Greg Stout. That's a good stout. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's you want? Real good. Are you jealous? You yeah. want it? <laughs> I'm not jealous. I'm getting one of them next time. It That's is good, but good. it's just it's just on the edge. I think the more mm. I drink it, the more used to it I'll get. But that is a strong. I want that stout. at the brewery. Oh yeah, that would be good. That's I, where I want. That. I miss their smoked porter, the Chipotle one. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah. All right, we got good beers. Shit. So this was my third time watching It Follows, and your second time, correct? Correct. Did we mention that our dog got his balls chopped off? Oh, yeah, and our dog got his balls chopped off. It really has been eventful. Been a lot going on. Yeah. Sorry, I just thought about that. Yeah, he's okay now. He's all recovered and can go to the park again, and he feels better, but it was a rough two weeks trying to keep a six-month-old puppy calm. We didn't. We did not. We failed, but he's okay. So the first time that that we watched this movie together... I'm not going to say I hated it, but I strongly disliked it. I really didn't like this movie. I thought it was silly. I thought it made no sense. It just did not work for me. And soon after, my brother had recommended it to me. It's like one of his top 10 favorite horror movies of all time. And he was basically just telling me, you're wrong, watch it again. (laughs) And I didn't watch it again for a couple years. And I just, I kept hearing from people in the horror community how much they loved this movie and what they got out of it and the like the lens that they watched it through and just the the love for it made me want to watch it again. So earlier this year, I think it was like the beginning of the year, I gave it a second watch with that in mind. And it's an awesome movie. So my theme for like the beginning of this episode is it's okay to be wrong. So I have a small list of other things that I thought I didn't like, but it turns out I really do. All right, nice. And it's totally random. It's not just movies. It's all kinds of stuff. But the first one on my list is for the longest time, I was so wrong about pickles. You were so wrong. Like most of my life since I was a kid, I was convinced that I hated pickles. You know what I was wrong about? What? Pickled eggs. Pickled eggs? Yeah. I haven't had a pickled egg. I thought they just sounded terrible. And I wasn't even that big of a fan of pickles. Mm-hmm. But this was one of the highlights of when I went to Burning Man, is that somebody had, you know, their family recipe, Burning Man recipe of their pickle brine, pickled eggs, and this gigantic thing that they were had at the bar. And I just thought it was going to be awful. And it was one of the best things ever. I got to try that. I, I love pickled everything now. Like, I, I was able to discover the joy of a pickleback which is a shot of whiskey with a pickle juice chaser. Thank you, Doris. The most delicious thing. And it's Erica, so yes. delicious. Thank you so much. Thank you. So good. Yeah, if anybody doesn't know that, pickleback. Yeah. Take a sip of whiskey or a shot of whiskey and then immediately take a drink of pickle juice. So good. If you have the hiccups, pickle juice. Instant cure. No joke. Try it. Amazing. So good. Rocked my world. What about you? I was unbelievably wrong about strawberries. Okay, yeah, there was a brief period of time where you were convinced that you didn't like strawberries. 
And I, I don't understand where that came from. I don't know where it came from either. <laughs> and I'm so deprived because that's been since I was a kid. That's so crazy. And I just went the majority, mass majority of my life somehow thinking that I just didn't like strawberries. And what's weird is I loved strawberry flavored stuff. Just not the I just always berries. thought I hated strawberries. And then it was until like <laughs> several years after we had been together that you finally convinced me to try strawberries again. I just again. eat a goddamn strawberry. And now I can't stop eating them. It's nature's candy. Oh my God, they're so good. That's a funny one. That always cracks me up. Well, the next one I have, most of mine are like movies or shows. The only food one really is pickles. But the first time that you and I watched No Country for Old Men, I did not enjoy it one bit. Thought it was super boring. Could not get into it. Didn't want to watch it again. And I love Coen Brothers movies. Like almost everyone that I've seen. I actually have two on this list though, surprisingly. But the second time around when we watched that movie, you would like convince me to watch it again. I think halfway through, I was like, this is a fucking good movie. <laughs> You're like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> to be fair, I don't know if that's surprising though. Because I I think Coen Brothers kind of have that just eccentric weirdness to them where which i love but oh, i know but I it's also the type one. of thing where it's very easy where a pe- person may not necessarily be into their movie like the first time around you know it may take some warming up to or some considering afterwards and be like okay all right i can i can get down with that yeah and it, that movie is totally my cup of tea like the kind of thing that i usually love but while we're on the subject i'll go ahead and mention the second one which is the big lebowski which i did not like the first time i watched it you were so wrong about that i was very wrong about that that movie is a delight you know what i was wrong about i do <laughs> <laughs> i was wrong about the was the great british bake-off Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You were wrong about that? I was so... Well, I mean, I just saw the cover and then it looked stupid. I feel like that's the case with most shows that we watch where I'll start watching it and you'll be like, that looks stupid just automatically. Mm -hmm. And then you're cracked out. Yeah. I'll go to turn it off when you sit down. You're like, no, no, no. Leave it on. It's okay. (laughs) Keep it going. (laughs) Yeah. That's one thing I appreciate you putting that time and effort in. Vetting these things Getting you into shows. Yeah, also, yeah. there's just so many things I would have never, A, never would have even considered yeah. looking into, and B, maybe wouldn't have taken the time to get past the, the first few to make sure pans out. I have an almost endless tolerance for a shitty TV. I don't. Because I'm so committed to finding the gems. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm committed to finding the good shit. And I do. Yeah, for me, it's, <laughs> nah. <laughs> I'm not interested in the first five minutes. You never would have watched Call the Midwife. Nope. Never. One of the best shows on TV. Modern Day Mesh. It is. It's so good. I was also very, very wrong about Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Me too. You too? I watched the entire first season and just, meh, didn't like it. It took until halfway through the second season where I suddenly, like a switch flipped in my brain and I became completely obsessed with it. Which is very strange. That's totally the kind of thing that I would love. Just yeah, automatically. Like my brother, like, I do that to my brother all the time. He'll send me something. I'll watch it or listen to it and be like, man, he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is exactly the kind of thing that you love. <laughs> I was very wrong. You know, I was wrong about Bioshock Infinite because I don't like first person shooters at all. But that game slaps. It's so good. It does slap. You got to play the first one. You have to you have to experience it. Too hard. 
It's not too hard if you play it on easy. There's no shame in it. There is. You just said there was shame in it with Last of Us. Well, for me, I don't like playing on easy, but the story is so good. It's worth it. You got to experience it. But I know the story. You got to check out Resident Evil Village. Again, first person. Don't like them. Well, you were wrong once. You could be wrong twice. You're wrong a lot of times. <laughs> so another thing I was wrong about, this one is a person. I used to hate Matthew McConaughey. couldn't stand him i would like avoid watching something that he was in and i can't tell you why but when we watched the first season of true detective he won me over oh yeah i was a fan here i hate i'm a fan now i couldn't stand him there was movie i just i wouldn't i wouldn't watch interstellar because of him yeah and then we finally did after so good i can't remember the last time i cried so hard in a movie before interstellar although to be fair i still feel like it's a little bit valid to initially not like him. Yeah, I think so too. Just a, he just has just one a, of those... He has a very punchable face, yeah. and it's not his fault. No. And he just that, like, it. he has that vibe around him. Like, he just... There's that sick... What do they call that? Short, uh, schadenfreude? Like, you, you want... You secretly kind of want to see him punched in the face. Is that what that means? <laughs> well, schadenfreude is you take joy in other people's suffering. What a cool word. Yeah, Germans. They know, dig how, it. they know how to language. Very cool. <laughs> they know how to language. <laughs> well, for a while, I was actively committed to hating Star Wars. Yes. I thought I was being edgy. Like, oh, I don't like Star Wars. It's stupid. I like Star Trek. Turns out everybody Star likes Star Wars. <laughs> everybody likes Star Wars. Like, how could you not? It's so much fun. It's just fun. It's delightful. You know who I used to hate? Who? Colin Farrell. I still do. I do, too. I just want <laughs> Use the hand, still do. <laughs> Our list of things we actively hate would be much longer. <laughs> I still can't stand him. I did love him in The Killing of a Sacred Deer. That movie is just amazing. Yeah, but that he also reminds me of the, you know, that classic adage, a broken clock is right twice a day. That's your favorite one. That's not my favorite. That's your favorite that I say. I can't remember the last time I said it. <laughs> well... But anyway, yeah. what I mean is that was like one of the few movies in which he was made for that. And it was just, it just happened it to fit. Yeah. It's a great movie. I'm excited to cover that one. So the last thing I have on my list that I was so very wrong about is The Matrix. First time I watched it, I hated it. Now you love it? Love it. It's awesome. It's like objectively awesome. I think it still stands. It does. Well, when I saw it when I was younger, I watched it with my dad because it was one of his favorite movies. And I just did not like it one bit. And then I watched it again with you because you're a fan. Loved it. No disagreements there. Speaking of movies that we were wrong about, I was dead wrong about Black Swan. Yes, you were. So very wrong. That movie is wicked. Wicked cool. No, it really is. It really is. It's, I love that movie. I'm obsessed with it. I, I, think think I, I, I think I was just wrong about that. What's his name? Darren Aronofsky? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I think that's, I was just that wrong that should be on about your that list director too. in general. Yeah, you weren't a fan of him at all. No. <laughs> I can't think of... I'm sure there are some directors where I thought I wasn't a fan and then it turns out I am, but I can't think of any That's of the That's really the only right like, director I can think of where I went from not liking any of his shit to just flipping like 180. Just getting it. Yeah. Was it Mother that did that? Yeah, or, I think... Or was he, it Black Swan? It wasn't Black Swan. Like Black Swan started to get me into the fold, but between Black Swan... Yeah, I would say Mother was the you know straw that... Broke the camel's back, mm-hmm. but it was just that culmination because you had, you had like black swan me, 
<laughs> I black swanned everybody that yeah. I knew I was obsessed. <laughs> you kind of got me into that fold. And even at that point, I didn't love it. But I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't hate it anymore. And then on the third or fourth watch, you're and like, then, all right. <laughs> then you uh, introduced me to The Fountain, which was just a lovely movie. Yeah. And I was like, all right, that was, that was nice. Yeah. And then Mother. And then that's when it just clicked. I'd say he's one of my top five favorite directors. Check out our Black Swan episode. That was a good one. I really enjoyed covering that one. So that brings us full circle to this movie that I was so very wrong about. And I feel like there's a lot to cover here. A lot to unpack. We'll start unpacking it. Let's unpack it. So It Follows came out in 2014, and it was written and directed by David Robert Mitchell. Cool name. Very hip. I feel like anyone that actively uses their middle name... It's hip. Or a serial killer. Or a serial killer. <laughs> so we'll kind of unpack it bit by bit. But in my opinion, this movie just feels like an instant classic and has so many elements of like a classic slasher. But I think the concept is just incredibly original. Do you want to give our fine folks out there in podcast land a quick synopsis? I will give a quick synopsis of the plot of It Follows. So It Follows follows Jay a 19-year-old college student who, after a date that goes horribly wrong, where she hooks up with this cute guy that she just met named Hugh, she finds out that he has, I don't know how else to word it, given her, gifted gifted her, a sexually transmitted entity that is passed on through sexual encounters that relentlessly follows you, and if it catches up to you, you die. It kills you. And the only way to get rid of it is to sleep with somebody else and then pass it on to them. So it follows Jay after this encounter and the aftermath of it, trying to shake this thing, basically. And the whole thing is just incredibly surreal and dreamlike. Like watching it through the lens of dream logic and watching it as a dream or a nightmare made the experience so much cooler. I have to add to your synopsis. Wait, there's more. There's a lot more. (laughs) Even if you pass it on, if that person dies, it comes back for you. Yes, it goes down the line. I think that's an important element. Yeah. I really loved this movie. I'm a fan. Yeah, I also have to say that the conjunction of the words dream logic makes my brain fry a little bit. Does it? And I don't like it. (laughs) I understand what you're saying, and... From a linguistic and communication point of view, I understand what that means. But I, like, every time, I just nails on a chalkboard to my, the way my brain thinks. That's kind of how I feel when I try to apply actual logic to this movie. <laughs> like, you can't do it. You can't do it. I, I start getting mad. But if you just go along with it and just let it wash over you, it's a very cool movie. Yeah, I think that we kind of... Nailed it when we were considering this to be almost a modern Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it's totally... It reminded me so much of Nightmare on Elm Street. It has all the vibes of like just... Not just Nightmare on Elm Street, although it's very heavily that. It has all the vibes of just like all the best parts of 80s horror. Yes. Like like you said, the slow stalker. The, the slashers, yeah. The slasher. It had that dream aspect of Freddy Krueger... It had the fact that it only seemed to be th- these young kids that weren't involved. These You had the classic Stephen King absent parents or weird parents yeah. that are kind of just in the background and drunk and just... Useless. Yeah. 
they're not even there. And so there's like, there's no adult and it's just these kids and just this weird, weird circumstance and nothing really makes sense of what's going on. But it's also scary and entertaining at the same time. Absolutely. I feel like this movie is extremely watchable, if that makes sense. Like just the way that it flows and the pacing and the the style, everything, all the elements of it, the way that they come together, like I could easily watch this movie several more times or just have it on and be entertained by it. Yeah, it's a very enjoyable, almost non-committal watch. Yeah, that's why I just, I'm such a sucker for a surreal dreamlike horror movie and Nightmare on Elm Street is one of my favorites and I feel like You said while we were watching it and we were talking about this that it reminded us so much of Nightmare on Elm Street that it combines, like you just said, all of the best elements of 80s horror with like the tact and the nuances of modern horror. Totally. Just a perfect combination. Yeah. It's so cool. This is a cool movie. It even has the Johnny Depp character. Yes. Greg. (laughs) Greg. Greg slash Glenn. I don't know about you, but the very beginning, like the opening scene with them, I think I looked it up. Her name was Annie, the girl who gets killed at the beginning. That whole intro gave me major John Carpenter vibes. Speaking of which, do you know the background behind that? Her name? Yeah. I Okay, so let me see if I remember, because the soundtrack reminded me a lot of John Carpenter too, but her name was Annie. And then isn't that like the name of Jamie Lee Curtis's sister? Uh, Close. So close, but no cigar. Close. You're you're on the right track. Um, so Annie, who's the first person who dies, uh, shares the name uh, with Annie Burnett, which was the first girl killed in John Com- John Carpenter's Halloween. That's what it was. Okay. And on top of that, Jay's full name is Jamie, which is a nod to the Scream Queen Jamie Lee Curtis, who, just like Jay, has a sister named Kelly. Oh, that I didn't know. Very cool. Yeah, so that a lot the, the naming and everything was very much a nod to the '80s horror, and in particular, I love Halloween. That. John Carpenter. I love that, and you know, I'm such a sucker for '80s horror. Like to have a modern day horror movie that is just so lovingly crafted and taken seriously with all of those elements was really cool to watch. I also read, and I didn't really catch this at the time, which is makes me really appreciate how nuanced it was. And that was the fact that the director kind of fucks with us in the time time frame in which this story takes place. Oh, yeah. I have notes on that. Because you have just this... None of the characters have cell phones or anything like that. Annie does. Well, she doesn't have a cell phone. She has, like, an e-reader thing. Well, that's Yara. Annie's the one at the beginning who dies, but then she calls her dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, Annie. I thought I was thinking yeah. one of the characters. You're right. Annie did. Yeah, I and there's that like the, the, the clamshell yeah. e-reader thing. Yeah. I love that. I, I have a whole bunch of notes on that about just like the different qualities that make you feel like you're in a dream and kind of set that ambiguous mood. Because when they're they're watching movies and it's almost always like a classic black and white movie. And all the TVs and are the like cars. 80s style TVs with the bunny rabbit ears and yeah. Like, you know, and the, the 70s uh, decorations. glass and everything. And then the houses are kind of 70s. The cars are like classic cars. Yeah, it's like but a But at mishmash. the same time, on the street, you see modern day cars. And so there's just all these elements where even their clothes and the places they're going, the activities, the way they talk. 
the way they interact with each other. It's almost a mishmash of like different eras, but not in an obvious way, but in a way where at least throws you off because you feel like you're in the 80s and you also feel like it's a modern movie. I feel like it's so obvious on a second and third watch, but the first time I watched this movie, I didn't even notice that. I watched it for a second time. It's been a long time. I didn't notice most of that stuff. I mean, I did... If I think back on it, I noticed it, but it wasn't yeah. blatant to me. Even during one of the hospital scenes, and there are a few, like, they are just racking up hospital bills in this movie. It shows, like, a bunch of views through the windows of the people who work in the hospital. And there's one scene where it's, like, a bunch of nurses getting off their shift, and they're wearing modern-day scrubs. But then you look into another window, and there's a nurse in, like, a classic 50s nurse uniform. Oh, really? It's such a trip, yeah. That's cool. And I only noticed that this time around, but there's stuff like that all throughout the movie, and it's not only impossible to tell what decade or time period this takes place in, but the season and time of year is very ambiguous, too. Because at the beginning uh, with Annie, she's wearing, it looks like pajamas and then red high heels. And then if you look around the neighborhood around her, there's like fall leaves and pumpkins on people's porches. But then the next scene is Jay swimming in a pool in a bathing suit and this is this takes place in detroit so it would be cold around halloween yeah i was reading about that too it's just like even on the same day you'll have certain characters wearing like winter clothes yeah big coats and everything and then they're at the beach summer clothes i really like that the the way that i got some information off of mentalfloss.com and they do some pretty good work but I, i like the way that they worded it as essentially the movie takes place during a stretch of impossible weather during an unreal era, making it impossible for you to find your footing. I really like that. It really adds to the surreal quality of this mm-hmm. movie. And the script is just so compelling and so interesting. There's a lot of... It's both a really good classic horror movie and a really fascinating allegory for so many things. And so many. for so many things. There, there are a lot of interpretations that I've seen of this movie and... I'm really on the side of one in particular, but I think that there are, like with many of the movies we cover, a lot of threads to pull that may not take you very far, but there's definitely some merit there. But before we get into that, I want to talk about like some of the more, some more of the technical aspects of this movie, because I think that it was just so beautifully made. But what did you think about the the cinematography and how it was like shot and edited? It was nice. Cool, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was very visually satisfying. It was. You know, there was, I would also say just like there was nothing jarring, which I know that's kind of a low bar, but I feel like there's a lot of movies where they like take you from scene to scene and it's kind of abrupt changes. Yeah, the transitions. Everything about this movie just flows very naturally. That's really impressive to me because it's not a movie that, again, makes logical sense. And there are scenes where literally you blink and then it goes from day to night or vice versa. Or they're in a completely different location all of a sudden, but it doesn't feel jarring. It feels like in a dream where all of a sudden you're on the beach when you were just in the mall yeah. a second ago. And it's like, yeah, of course I'm here. That's where we are now. It makes perfect right. sense. It's just really well edited and cut. And some of the shots really stuck out in my mind. I kind of, whenever we watch these movies, I kind of fixate on really random things. Like when we did Zodiac, I was so obsessed with that first shot of the car rolling through the street on the 4th of July. And some of my favorite shots in this movie were the first 
death scene with Annie where she's sitting on the beach and it's just her illuminated by the headlights of the car and then just the blackness of the beach around her. I love that scene too. That was gorgeous. That was a great shot. So cool. And then the scene with Jay and Hugh in the car and it's like the faraway shot of his classic car when they're kissing. Mm -hmm. And then soon after that when she gives her kind of um, soliloquy and it's just the close-up of her red fingernails playing with the flowers as she's ruminating on life philosophy. I was also a big fan of the... It was one of those scenes where it kind of jumped, but again, it was very smooth in its transition where I think it was the the Glenn character. Was his name Johnny? Greg. Greg. Be easy to remember. Obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Greg where he's like walking. I think he's like walking away from them. The group like going home or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's where it switches to the beach scene. Yeah, I think so. Where it's just like he's walking away at night and then It is, yeah. He's going to get him. his car so and they then, can drive to the, yeah, the beach. Yeah, and then yeah. it's just like him walking to the where they're hanging out or whatever. Yeah. And it was just a I don't know how to explain it. It's, it seems super basic and it is, but it flowed well. It did. And then another one that I'm really fixated on, that one of my favorite scenes was the scene where Jay is in school and she sees it for the second time and then this is after she's been drugged so this is like confirming that it is indeed real and it is following her when she's looking out the window and the teacher is reading that poem it reminded me so much of that school scene in nightmare on elm street which is like Very one much. of my favorite scenes in that movie where it's like i could count myself a king of infinite space were it not that i have bad dreams like that vibe was just that whole scene and i loved it so much and then the transition where she was walking down the hallway and this old woman was following her and you have like that thumping synthesizer and then it immediately transitions to her in her car and you still hear the thumping and the thumping just like organically switches into the sound of her car engine. Very nice. So satisfying. Okay. It was so good. I just fixate on that stuff and it's when it's done well, it is so satisfying. Oh yeah. It's like watching those those mirror glaze cakes. Yes, <laughs> this movie is a mirror glaze yeah. cake. <laughs> the making of a it's mirror gorgeous. Glaze, yeah. I really loved it. I have also never seen a girl fart as a punchline in a horror movie, and I really appreciated Did you that. Get that. You like that one? I really liked that. Yara was great. Really interesting character. I feel like she wasn't in it enough. She wasn't, but she was also very important for kind of driving the themes home with her quotes from the idiot. The idiot. Yeah, she was reading The Idiot, and I, I cannot pronounce the guy's name. Javrosky? That's wrong, but The Idiot. I feel so... <laughs> I feel like an idiot. I don't know that one. Is that like a classic? It's a Russian novel by... I mean, Dostoevsky? I'm, I'm Dostoevsky? Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. Okay. Oh, it was published before the 19th century. So basically, there are, there are a lot of reflections, at least from the quotes that Yara reads out loud, about death and mortality and just reflecting on one's own mortality and the inevitability of ceasing to exist. And I feel like that's the most prominent theme in this movie. There are a lot of interpretations that I've heard that I really like. Like, I don't want to say the most obvious one, but the most, I'll say, surface level one is the idea of STDs. Like, this is a metaphor for STDs, which, I mean, it is a sexually transmitted entity, but I think it's so much deeper than that. No, that's a jerk me off theory. Yeah, it's just... It has merit, but it, I think it's so much deeper than that. But another one that really resonated with me, it doesn't necessarily apply to the whole movie, but I know that a lot of people had a 
deep emotional connection to this movie because of the portrayal of the aftermath of sexual assault. And especially the scene where Jay has just had this, what she deems an, a consensual encounter with Hugh, where they have sex in his car. And immediately after she's doing her her little soliloquy, her speech about childhood and what she used to dream of as a kid and her hopes and her wishes. And then he comes up behind her and drugs her, he chloroforms her and knocks her out. And this is a really good exposition scene and a really clever way to like explain everything that we need to know as an audience because he ties her to a wheelchair and explains what he knows about how this entity works. So he said, somebody gave it to me and now I'm passing it on to you. It's slow, but it's not stupid. It's going to follow you relentlessly and you need to sleep with somebody as soon as possible because that's the only way to pass it on. If it kills you, it's going to come for me. I want you to survive. I'm telling you this like for my own sake, for your sake. I'm sorry I hurt you. Like it's this this whole explanation of everything that we need to know. That scene was terrifying and brilliant, but to me the most upsetting scene in this movie was when he takes her back home and dumps her out on the street with her hands bound in her underwear in front of her sister and her friends. That was just so disturbing and devastating. Yeah. Like that was a fucked up scene. Like, can you I, imagine your no, your sister or one of your friends like seeing her come back from a date and just dumped on the street right, with her hands just... tied and drugged and like that's horrifying. I know. But what's also horrifying is the fact that it didn't seem all that impactful. I mean they're they were like upset, you know, but if you really put that into context, I feel like the outcome of that was pretty low key. I actually think that I don't know if I fully agree with that. Like, I I think that they were very deeply concerned and they immediately called the police. They made a report and took it very seriously. And I I think that this was a very good portrayal of the aftermath of a trauma where, I mean, these are, this is her sister and her sister's friends. It's not necessarily her friend group, Jay's, but they were so committed to helping her, even if they couldn't fully understand what she was going through. They couldn't see this thing that was following her. They couldn't fully understand what she was experiencing, but they stayed with her. They watched over her. When she was freaking out, her sister just like got down in front of her and looked her in the eyes and said, it's okay. We're going to figure this out. It's going to be okay. And there's not a whole lot that they can do, but they're committed to being there for her and supporting her. And that was just, I know that really deeply resonated with a lot of people who watched this movie. Okay. And I think that's, it was very impactful. That's what I saw and that's what I've heard from people who have seen it. But I, I, I don't necessarily it. think that applies to the whole movie, but for that particular scene and the immediate aftermath, I think that that's very potent. That was my brother's interpretation of it, too. He felt that the entire movie was about, like, sexual assault and the aftermath. And there's even that really cool scene in the bathroom where she's looking at herself in the mirror. And then she's, like, examining her body and looking down her underwear almost to, like, see if something was different Hmm. and see if she had changed. I feel like Freud would have a fucking field day with this movie. I mean, he has a field day with hot dogs. There's a lot going on here. I do feel like, not to undermine any of that, I think that's all relevant, and that's the beauty of art, is the fact that it doesn't matter what anyone intended it to be. Like, you can get all of this out of it. We've talked about this before, but my impression of what the small amount that I did read is that the director didn't have a lot of grand theories and ideas that he was trying to get across. I feel like that's so often the case. So often. Like, I think he just wanted to 
basically make a modern day monster slasher and find a compelling way to do that. And wasn't this based on a nightmare that he had had? Yeah. And people got so much out of this movie. This is like one of the most beloved modern horror movies. I can see why. I, I It's almost tapping into what I feel like Disney is doing with all the Marvel movies. How so? Well, it's... And, and Stranger Things. It's What it's doing is it's taking a generation that is now older, right? A generation mm-hmm. that grew up. And it's inviting them to be part of a, the youth, you know? And yeah. it's validating what they went through. And also bringing solidarity between age groups. Absolutely. I couldn't help but wish when I watched this movie for the second, third time that this had been around when I was a teenager. I feel like I would have just grabbed onto it so hard. Yeah, you would have gone bananas I I would have gone apeshit over this movie had I seen it in high school. It really excites me that this movie is available for, I mean, all ages now, but especially for teenagers. This is an amazing teenage horror movie that has all the best elements of, like I said, a classic slasher, but doesn't treat teenagers like they're stupid, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It takes itself very seriously and not, in my opinion, in a pretentious way. Yeah, and I have a lot of respect for stories and directors that do that because it's hard, man. Like, as you grow up, you you do. You kind of forget what it's like to be a teenager. It's really yeah. easy to do. And it's especially easy just not to be cognizant of it yeah you know and i really appreciate movies like this that bring it back and kind of draws everyone's attention back to this vulnerable group but not in a way that's dismissive nor condescending to modern youth 100 percent. and one of the criticisms that i read about this movie which i I'm going to say up front, I 100% do not agree with and did not get that from this movie. But there was like a subset of people who didn't like this movie because they felt that it was, its message was sex is bad. And if you have sex, bad things will happen to you. And I I didn't get that from this at all. I'm not sure they watched the same movie. No, like I, I know that that's a, a common trope in these classic slasher movies. But I, I think that this movie had a very compassionate view of these kids and what they were going through. I don't, I didn't get that from it at all. And these characters, especially Jay, cause she's a little bit older than her sister and her friends. She's 19 years old. She's just starting college. She's right at that age where you're kind of still transitioning from childhood to adulthood. And you really start to become aware of the weight and the impact of your decisions. Like you're sexual choices, your career choices, college, figuring out what you want to do with your life. Like everything is just has so much weight and consequences all of a sudden that you weren't necessarily aware of or blissfully ignorant of as a teenager or younger child. I guess what we can dive into like the what I think is the prominent theme of this movie, what I think quote unquote it represents. I think it is death and mortality and the awareness of your own impending mortality and Jay is kind of at that age where you kind of start to truly become aware of that and understand it for the first time. I like that. Unless you're me when I was nine years old and I watched The Sixth Sense and realized that death is inevitable and we're all going to die. One thing, I I don't have a lot of uh, follow through with this, but one thing that I was just, I was feeling. Can I just talk about how I'm feeling? I think that's what this movie is. (laughs) It's feelings. One thing I was feeling was almost 
the idea that this is how adults teach kids, young people, about sex. Can you say more about that? Well, what I mean to say is that we try to almost make... This is how we try to, like, teach our our teenagers that sex is like. Like, it's this fucking dangerous. And it's going to follow you forever. And everything you do. And it can. And it does. But I think that it's almost like taking it to the extreme and almost the way that some kids can feel about this. Like, and it's, and it leads to some very bad decisions because we don't know how to communicate about sex and we're so repressed sexually as a society. Yeah. And even the idea that, you know, <clears throat> to get rid of this thing at some point, Jay was, you know, ready to swim across a lake and have an orgy with like three guys on a boat. Yeah. To get rid of it. And, I think there's something to be said about the fact that we can sometimes be dishonest about the way that we approach something serious because of whatever kind of hitches that we have in trying to address these things, that it can backfire. And so we have situations in which people, kids, young people will put themselves into bad situations because they're either ill-informed or... Because they are doing it out of basically misinformation. Yeah, 100%. I'm not sure if all that made any sense. That does make sense. I, I think there's just a lot going on here and that it, it all works. And I also think that, you know, going back to, like, if you choose to view this as, you know, it represents death and mortality, just the whole connection with sex is so interesting because we are all here because of sex and sexuality and we will all die because of it. You mean because we were born? Yeah, because we were born because of sex. So just that whole connection between sex and death and the awareness of the inevitability of death. It's very, like, I, I keep coming back to this. I'm not a fan of Freud, but this movie is very Freudian. <laughs> it certainly can be. I also think it could be in the lens of, uh, I'm just, I didn't have time to plot this out in my head. So I'm just freeballing here while I have whatever the fuck I have going on with my head or my ears. It could be the most rational of all things to fear. Good old Teddy Roosevelt said it best. You know, we have nothing but fear, but fear ourselves. Mm-hmm. Where's that? Yeah, that was Teddy, right? I think so. I always get the two Roosevelts confused sometimes. It definitely wasn't FDR. Okay, then it was Teddy. You know, and it, maybe this is a representation of fear. Like, there's so much fear behind sex. There's so much fear behind death. Like... Yeah. I feel like that could all be kind of intertwined here. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to be like just a sexual thing, even though it's transmitted. It's it's very much sex-based. It's sexually transmitted, but it's also more than that. I think it it does also come back to, like I was saying before, like I agree with you, like fear is a huge component here too, but just the, the age where you become aware of the weight of your decisions. And if you had parents who really hammered that stuff home to you, you might have more fear surrounding your decisions, especially when it comes to like choosing a partner or a mate or like exploring your sexuality like there. And I don't know if it was an accident or just something that the director didn't think about that all of the encounters in this movie were heterosexual and heteronormative, but that it's kind of like committing to the status quo out of fear. If that makes sense. Because at the end, Jay kind of settles down with Paul, even though it's very apparent throughout the movie that she's not interested in Paul, even though he's very much in love with her. She kind of just like gives up and settles with him at the end of the movie. I fell asleep at the end. 
I know I had a, I had a note that like, oh, this is a good sign. Greg stayed awake through this movie. And then I look over and you're snoring like within the last five minutes. But yes, if you miss the very end of the movie, she ends up having sex with Paul and they kind of like settle down and have a relationship together. And the very last shot is them holding hands and walking down the street. And it seems like maybe the scene at the pool was effective, but then you see somebody just walking behind them and it's, you don't know. So do you think maybe she was just afraid to be with Paul? I'm not sure. I'd, I really didn't get the impression that she was all that interested in Paul, to be honest. I got the impression that she settled at the end. I don't think that she loved him the way that he loved her. But I think there are so many interpretations that are totally valid. What did you think? I didn't think anything. I was asleep. <laughs> but I mean, leading up to that, because there were a lot of encounters between her and Paul, <clears throat> Paul where he was like very, very eager to help her with her problem. Well, I guess what I would say is that what I got out of it is that she definitely, I felt like she trusted Paul. She had a deep connection with Paul. Yeah. And I almost want to take it to the like, almost to the like nice guys finish last type of thing. And that happens so often where, you know, you'll like during the the high school years and everything like that, even college. That's not the type of guy that you're looking for and the guy that will stay committed to you and be there for you and help you even when they don't understand what you're going through and be right there ready to help you through this. Like, he's like, I'll stay here. I'll sleep over. I'll sleep downstairs. Like, I'll be there for you. Mm -hmm. Even though he understands pretty damn well that he's not going to get anything out of this on on a romantic level. Like, maybe he's dreaming about it, but I also still feel like he understands. And I also don't feel like he's necessarily 100% motivated in that means. Like, he's not doing it simply because he's sexually attracted to her. I No, he's I definitely, yeah. He's doing it because he cares about her. I definitely got that impression, too. And so too. I yeah. would turn that around and say that maybe, what's his name? Paul? Maybe Paul isn't Greg in... <laughs> The 80s movies. Yeah. You know, the hot neighbor with the long hair that washes their car and isn't the first thing you're attracted to. But as she dealt with shit in life that is important, she realized the importance of having somebody that actually cares about you and wants you to be well and is there for you versus the person that's got the six pack and the nice car. That's so interesting how different the interpretations of this can be. I definitely see what you're saying. I just, I've always hated the idea of the quote unquote, you know, friend zone and just the. I don't know what that means. So basically, there's like the whole nice guy thing where, you know, the nice guys finish last, where guys that claim to be quote unquote nice guys are angry that women don't want to be with them and they're such a nice guy. But then at the moment that they're rejected, it's like, fuck you, you bitch, I hate you, I'm going to go shoot up a school. I don't think that's the case with Paul. Well, I would, if I, just, I can just yeah. counter real quick, I think anyone that says that they're a nice guy mm-hmm. probably isn't a nice guy. Agreed. And I I definitely didn't get that impression with Paul. I think Paul is a genuine trademark nice guy. So yeah, I just want to say, <laughs> when I say yeah. nice guy, I don't mean the guy who says he's a nice guy because he's yeah. not getting blown. I understand what you mean. I just feel like we should clarify that okay. because there is there is a lot of, for good reason, are these the, like, weight attached the, to the nice guy. <laughs> are these the, what do they call those? Like the... Incels? Yeah, like the... Fuckboys? No, no, like the... (laughs) There's a lot of names. Like the hymnist. Like, what do they call them? Oh, meninists. Meninists? (laughs) Men's rights activists. Yeah. Is it like that? Yeah, yeah, it is, in a way. Yeah. like that? Yeah. So, I know what you're talking about, but I think it is important to clarify because there's a lot attached to that. 
that's negative. But okay. yeah, but I agree with you. That. I think I think Paul is a genuinely trademark nice guy. And <laughs> I know that like he loves Jay. He's always had a crush on Jay. He wants to sleep with her. He wants to be with her. But he also genuinely wants her to be okay and wants to help her. Greg, on the other hand, he's just horny. Right. And I don't think Greg was portrayed as a bad guy. No. He's know. just horny. He doesn't yeah. He doesn't believe her. He doesn't, like, understand what's going on. No, but I think that Greg was helping because yeah. he wanted to get laid. And it's interesting because Greg was the only one of that group who didn't survive. Yeah. Let's talk about Greg's death. That was interesting. Greg was fucked to death by his mother. Now, that's Freudian. <laughs> Actually, that's Greek. <laughs> We've been listening to a lot. That was by Greek far. Myth stuff. And when I saw that, I was like, holy shit. I feel like oh my God, all right? the, the writers of Greek mythology would have looked at that and just dropped their beers. Like, yeah. well done, sir. That was by far Fuck the most death by your mom? disturbing scene. And then there's like, like... that puts Oedipus to shame. Seriously. Wow, that was disturbing. And then there's like a close-up of their bodies just like being grinded together. Yeah. And then there's just so much fluid there's fluid, like, flowing from her arms onto his body. Like, it's so fucked up. This is a very fluidish movie. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, lot of fluids. Fluid. There's a lot of water, too. Yes, there is. What do you What do you think that is representing? What do you think about the water? There's you know what the... I really... You want to know my honest opinion? Yeah. I think it was just a thing. You think so? Yep. I think that the water was, like... Well, for one, if you want to get really deep, like water is life, right? Water represents life, but water was also safety, especially for Jay. Like she had her well, swimming pool. There was the, the scene at the end where she thinks that she can defeat this thing by using the swimming pool. And that's like where she goes to think. And then I don't remember exactly when this happened, but there's one point where she goes out to the pool and it's been deflated and drained. So I, I kind of feel like for her, the pool and the water is a sense of safety. There's also that beach scene where the water is so calm and still. But I think that water also represents life. It could even represent like the subconscious. Well, I think I don't there, I don't think it was any accident that water was so prevalent in this movie. But I think in the same way that they, you know, they showed red right yeah. before every single time the monster would show up yeah right? i noticed that too. which is just a normal trope of horror it's like a classic yeah. thing or when you take any type of writing class one of the first thing you learn and i it just it's always boggled my mind like who started this and why do we keep on doing the it? rain the right? rain like yeah. every time it rains it means change is gonna happen there's just these almost these unwritten rules where you use some type of thing, element, color, whatever it is, to be a resonant theme throughout the story. Yeah. And I think that in this particular case, I could be totally wrong, but just based on the small amount that I did read, I don't think that the writer-director was honestly being that deep about this movie. No, I don't and think I, so either. I think that he very intentionally put red in there because that's what you do. And I think he very intentionally put water in there, but just because it was a way to tie the story together. Yeah. I don't think it was necessarily thought out in a matter of like the water represents. Because if you think about it, Jay is safe in water sometimes. Yeah. But almost every other time, water actually represents danger. 
Yeah, I could see that. Like the beach scene. That was a, well, the, a very tense the, scene. The first kill was at the pool. beach. Yeah. You have the beach scene. You have the, you know, the end scene with the big pool. Yeah. Um, you have the deflation of the water. Like, basically, water is bad, except for the one time Jay's in the pool. Yeah, that's true. Oh, there was also that scene where she's in, um, she's at home and she sees the peeing woman, which I want to talk about in a second. And then she runs into the bedroom and the first thing she says is, I need water. Okay, well, that's kind of pushing a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But she's, (laughs) like, that's her safety. And then I also really liked, there were a lot of scenes in this where it almost seems like these characters are kind of grieving the innocence and simplicity of childhood. And... After that scene where she sees, like, the two manifestations, which I want to talk about in a second. I'm going to leave you all in suspense. After she sees them at her house, she jumps out the window and immediately runs to a playground and, like, sits on the swing set. That's, like, her her safe place, her safety. And there's that little speech she gives when, after she hooks up with Hugh and she's, like, playing with the flowers. And you love that scene. I really love that scene. And she's talking, because I've, I can relate to it. I've felt this. She talks about how she used to have these dreams and this wish of being old enough to have freedom. And, like, she imagined herself driving down the road in a car with this really cute guy and having just this euphoric sense of freedom and not knowing where you're going to go and not caring, like, just driving and reveling in that freedom. And then she says, now that we're old enough, where the hell do we go? And I have felt that. (laughs) I have felt that. Like, when I first got my car, I was just, like, driving down PCH and hollering and so excited. And then, you know, less than a year later, it's like, well, gas is fucking expensive and I'd rather stay at home. And where am I going to go? You kind of lose that sense of wonder and freedom to some extent because you start to think about the weight of your decisions and the consequences. Like, if I drive, you know, across the country, that's going to be expensive and I could get stranded and that's going to take gas and... I'm going to have to take time off work. Like, all of a sudden, all the weight of your decisions come crashing down around you. Right? This movie is just a fantastic reflection on existential dread. I envy our dog sometimes. He never has to feel existential dread. Or think about the inevitability of death. I'm not a believer in ignorance is bliss. You don't think our dog feels blissfully ignorant of existential dread? I don't know. But even if he is, (laughs) I don't know if that's considered bliss. He seems pretty happy, but you know what I mean. But I really like that there are a lot of moments between the characters where they kind of reflect on what it was like to be a kid. And there's like that scene with Jay and Paul on the couch when they talk about how they kissed each other once when they were kids and how innocent it was. And then they go to Hughes' house or the house that he was pretending to live in, which turns out to be this abandoned structure. We find out his name is actually Jeff. And they find all these magazines. It's Playpen magazine, like a knockoff of playboy obviously and then they start to reminisce about when they found porn magazines when they were a kid and how they didn't understand and how innocent it was but also so interesting and compelling and fascinating and they just they continuously reflect on and almost grieve that innocence of childhood yeah man this 11 and a half percent beer is kicking in i can tell (laughs) (laughs) this girl is pontificating But yeah, Let I just think, I think there's so much here about just like the loss of innocence and the kind of grief that comes with that as you become aware of it. I can see that. I, I honestly, for me, for me, I feel like this is just a movie that takes a lot of elements of a lot of things and puts them together very well. 
I also don't feel that there's anything logical about this. There's not. It, I think it's like, very much an allegory. Well, I don't even know if it's an allegory. Like, I don't even feel like it's logical enough to be an allegory. Well, like, what do you think about, quote unquote, it representing death and the inevitability of death? I feel fine about it. Whether or not it does. I, like, again, it's art. Yeah. You can make it whatever you want. I think that the the quotes that Yara reads really kind of, at least for me personally, like hammer that home. And I really like the one at the end where she's in the hospital and she's eating what looks to be like a meal that a kid would eat. She's eating a sandwich that's been cut into triangles, served on a paper plate with a bowl of jello. And she's reading this quote from The Idiot and it says, The most terrible agony may not be in the wounds themselves, but in knowing for certain that within an hour that within 10 minutes, that within half a minute, now at this very instant, your soul will leave your body and you will no longer be a person. And that is certain. The worst thing is that it is certain. And that's like the last quote that we hear from this book that she's reading before Jay settles down with Paul. And then we get that very ambiguous end scene with somebody walking behind them. Well, again, I was asleep for that. You were asleep for that. but Now that you tell me that, it changes everything. It really hammers it (laughs) home, right? Like, I think this movie is about death, ultimately, and the inevitability of death and becoming consciously aware of your own mortality and the things that we do to try and cope with that. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's also, you know, when you you talk about that, because you go through these stages of like, once you realize that death is inevitable, like everybody that is has any kind of cognizant abilities and any ability to philosophize at all must at some point in their life go through an existential crisis. Yeah. And go through a completely just, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say narcissistic, but that's not it. It's nihilistic. Yeah. You have to be a nihilist for a very small amount of time. Because you realize that you're going to die and that essentially nothing fucking matters because you're going to die. This movie can then, you know, use that as a mechanism of finding reason like we all have to do. Finding reasons to continue existing, even though we know that it is always following us. Yes. And well catches. So... Before <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm thinking about the Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to things that I was wrong about, that movie is fucking delightful. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> fucking nihilist. And it's so quotable. Endlessly quotable. <laughs> but <laughs> so kind of, you know, wrapping up the, the deep themes of this movie, I, I do have to say, like, the little touches that kind of emphasize it are really refreshing. Like, there's there's one scene that stuck out to me that's very subtle, and it's before Jay gets dropped off in front of her sister where they're all drinking on the porch and playing a game. The game that they're playing is Old Maid. And the the goal of Old Maid is to not end up with the Old Maid. And you have to deceive the players that you're playing with into taking her and passing it on to them. And I just thought that was like a cool little touch that they added to this concept of like passing this thing on and trying to well, avoid it as long as you Yara, can. did like intentionally take on the Old Maid? I thought I remembered seeing that, where she, like, intentionally took the card, and then she intentionally didn't pass it. I didn't catch that. But Yara is also reading well, The Idiot, Yara, and Yara has accepted the inevitability what, of death. That's what I was going to say. If you really want to read in this, which you've given me the impression that you do, I think Yara was enlightened enough to realize that we all have to do this. Yeah. Yara so, was also shot and really chill about it. I think she was just... 
I liked Yara. I think Yara was just enlightened as fuck. <laughs> she was. I liked her a lot. Yara was also the farter. She had the. She was the humor of the group. Okay, so that's like the the nitty gritty and the themes. Let's go back to some of the you know specific elements of this movie. What was your favorite manifestation of it? It. I thought the the pissing lady was pretty disturbing. I think that was my favorite. I think the really tall guy was the most startling and oh, was yeah, really, was cool. really creepy. That guy was actually, I read that he was one half of the tallest twins in the world. That was really creepy. But yeah, that when she just looks up and this woman is walking towards her with one titty out, her eyes completely blackened from being beaten, it looks like, teeth missing, pissing herself and walking after her. That was just incredibly disturbing. It really was, yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting how many different forms it turns up in. And Hugh specifies at the beginning that sometimes it takes the form of somebody you love just to hurt you. And at one point, it was like when they were at the beach, it showed up as the neighbor kid who we see on the bike, which was kind of interesting. It shows up as Yara. And then at the very end during the pool scene, it shows up as Jay's father. And we don't really know what happened to him, if he's just absent or if he died. But there's a close-up earlier in the movie of a family photo of Jay and her sister and her parents and her her dad is in the picture, but he's obviously not present. It seems like it's just her mother and her mother is appears to be an alcoholic and just very sad. Yeah, the more you're talking about it, I like the death theory because even if you think about that, like it takes the form of someone close to you just to hurt you. Like that's what death does. It does, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that the the strongest interpretation of this movie is that it represents the inevitability of death and the awareness of your own mortality and the, the loss of childhood innocence as you become aware of that. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I, yeah. I guess if it were to mean anything, that's what's got to mean. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the theories around this are really valid, and I, I love that this movie has resonated with so many people. So one of my favorite things about this movie, and I'm sure for you too, and most people who enjoy this, the fucking soundtrack slaps <laughs> it's so good i wish that i had remembered how good the soundtrack was when we did our sinister episode like add this to my list of just banger horror soundtracks it's so good it just fits really well it does like i i definitely want to add it to my halloween playlists i also feel like it was kind of it was unique in its own way yeah you know it didn't feel like a traditional soundtrack to me. It didn't, but it also reminded me a lot of John Carpenter. Yes. Yeah. So but I mean, it was again, still very it had, original. it had all these elements of things that are familiar, but at the same time was unique on its own. It's so cool. It just, it got stuck in my head after watching this. I couldn't stop thinking about it, but I'm definitely adding it to my list of Halloween soundtracks, things that I play during spooky season. The artist that composes soundtrack goes by the name of Disasterpiece. And his name is Richard Vreeland. He's like a 27-year-old guy, or at least he was at the time that this came out. And initially, he had mostly scored video games. And David Robert Mitchell was was a big fan of one of the games that he had composed and asked him to score this movie. And I think it was just an absolutely perfect fit. It's so cool. Yeah, I loved it. It was great. That's one of the things that stood out to me while we were watching this the second time. We were like going through, and I was like, damn. Shit's fucking good. It really is. I think that was one of my like top three favorite things about it. Like we used to at the beginning of our podcast, we would talk about like the three our three favorite elements of the movies 
that we talked about. And I think for this one, it would definitely be the soundtrack, the mood, and the look of it. I'm, I'm just such a sucker for mood. You are. I love it. I'm such a sucker. And I love a real weird horror movie. But to, like to me, this is a modern classic. I'm really glad I gave it another shot. And I could definitely see myself watching this many more times in the future. You will. I will. Just to wrap it up, watching this movie again through the lens of dream logic really helped me enjoy it more. And I have very few criticisms about it or critiques about it, but I I still don't really like the whole, I, I would say last third of it, like from the pool scene on, the pool scene didn't really work for me. I thought it, that's kind of where it fell apart for me. It just kind of seemed like a silly way to try and defeat this entity, but I did read from the director that he said this was intentional and that it was meant to be like a a childlike solution to this colossal problem and that obviously it didn't work. But I mean, that makes me feel a little bit better, but I still didn't love that scene. But overall, I just think that the concept was incredibly original. It has a very classic feel. I love the style of it. I love how it looks. The soundtrack just slaps. It's amazing. I just love that horror fans got so much out of this movie and that it's so revered in the horror community. Yeah, I, I, I gotta say the same thing. The At least the portion of the end that I watched. <laughs> and I've seen that pool scene a couple times because I've like walked in on you watching it. Yeah. And I just, every time I've seen that scene, it bothers me. Like, it's I silly. Don't it like doesn't it. make it's sense. Stupid. Yeah. And it doesn't fit with everything else and the way everything transitions. Everything flows so everything nicely. Flows, and, and then it's like, what the fuck like, is this? Rough, you know? That doesn't work for me. No, there's nothing about that. Yeah. That works at all. It's like you're having a nice dinner party and then somebody fucking whips their dick out. <laughs> you know, like. How did I know of, you were going to say that? It just came out of nowhere <laughs> and nobody wants to see that. You know? And I feel like that's what this ending was. And yeah. it just, it made no sense. It didn't belong there. I feel like we the director was like, oh a, shit, we have yeah. to come up with an ending here. It's a very Stephen King ending. Mm-hmm. You know, which I guess leads to the 80, 80s element of it. And, you know, the montage, or the uh, the nods, if you will. Yeah. Like, it's a very just, and that's one thing that horror has historically been terrible at, is they don't know how to end a fucking movie. Unless you're the witch. I'm not saying all, <laughs> but in general, yeah. horror is really bad. At it's notorious for bad endings, and it's yeah. just it was it was disappointing for something that had everything else going so good, and then it just kind of yeah, it, it did it did kind of fall apart for me at the end. Still, after the third watch, I have a really hard time enjoying the ending. So, getting to the ratings phase, as you know, we rate on a scale of zero to twelve beers. I did really enjoy this movie. I think it, there is a lot to gain from it. There's a lot that can be interpreted. It has a lot of elements that I just absolutely love. The mood, the surreal quality, the cinematography, the originality. Very, very cool movie. I would absolutely watch it again. But the ending just doesn't work for me. So on a scale of 0 to 12 beers, I think I'm going to give it a generous 10.5. Really enjoyed it. I think um, it has a lot going for it. This gets a 9 for me. Yeah, that's pretty. We gave, I think we gave Bone Tomahawk a nine, and that movie kicked ass. So that's that's still a pretty good rating. Yeah, I for really us. like this. I would I would watch it again, but that I'd probably shut it off. <laughs> the last third, yeah. yeah the ending I'd just doesn't just really do it for me. Like I don't want yeah. to go to that ending again. I want to watch I like thought, the first hour. If I thought about putting this on, that's what would stop me from watching it. Yeah, I have to agree with you. The the ending like, just doesn't work for me. I don't want to watch that 
the pool ever scene. again. Yeah. To be honest with you, like I've I've seen you. I've I've been down here. You watching this? So I've seen that ending like three times now. And just doesn't, and I don't want to watch that. Ever it doesn't again. work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done with that. I would love to hear other people's interpretations of that ending and like what people got from it because I I haven't seen a whole lot of thoughts on that ending, but it kind of seems like the general consensus is pretty close with what we're saying. Like it just kind of falls apart a little bit at the end and the writer director is just like, okay, we have to end it somehow. But I do really like this movie and I love the soundtrack. It will be added to my Halloween playlist and it's a very, very cool movie. So thank you, Witch of the Wildflowers for your recommendation slash request. I'm really glad that I gave this movie another chance. Thank you kindly. All right. Well, this was my pick and I just have to say we're getting very, very close to spooky season. So your next movie pick will be our last episode before October. I thought we were 100% always in spooky season. Well, we are, but we're getting into the nitty gritty of spooky season. So I've actually been working on a list for a little while. And I've seen other people do this too. I'm really excited to be participating this year. But I think I'll release it on our Instagram close to the end of September. I'm working on a list of 31 days of horror movies to get people in the mood for Halloween. So be on the lookout for that. But I am fucking pumped for spooky season. I'm ready. Are you ready? Ready. All right. So this was my pick. What are we watching as the last episode of September before we get into full Halloween mode? Well, as you know, I have not done well. (laughs) The last few texts. I think you're being too hard on yourself. We've had some good discussions. Bad taste was bad, though. Bad taste was bad. In any case, I'm going to still throw myself out there at the mercy of just luck and willingness to try new things. But I'm also going to do it in an area where I feel like we've had good success. And that's Korean horror movies. Yes! Oh, boy, I'm excited. Because every Korean horror movie that we've watched has been great. This movie is supposed to be a... For a comedy. Okay. But it's highly regarded. It is called The Host. Ooh. I really don't know a whole lot about it other than the fact that it's a creature feature and that it's supposed to be fucking good. I've heard very, very good things about that movie. So we very recently did an episode on Host from 2020. This is The, the host. host. From Korea. From Korea. <laughs> South Korea. I believe this was the same if director. You see a white girl. It's the wrong movie. It's the wrong movie. If you see a monster, you're in the right place. I'm so excited. I've been wanting to see that for a really long time. I think that's going to be good. I'm looking forward to that. Good pick. I hope it pans out. I think it will. I think that's the same director who did uh, Parasite. I think so, too. Well, now that we've wrapped that up, what kind of beer would you pair It Follows? You're going to laugh because it's really gross, but the first beer that came to mind for this movie was, it's from the Mother Earth Brewing Company, and it is called Cali Cream and Ale. (laughs) So hear me out. Ew. Ew. Hear me out. There's a lot of reasons for this. This is a beer that is meant to taste like cream soda, which to me is reminiscent of childhood. I think that fits really well with this movie. Two, cream and. Enough said. said. Freeman sounds like dreamin'. I think it would pair very nicely with this movie. It's also kind of a kind of an ambiguous beer as far as like what season you should drink it in. Like it kind of sounds initially like it should be a summer beer, but is it? Is it? Is it? 
I'll tell you one thing. I am feeling this 11.5% stout, and we have not had dinner, and it's really kicking in. (laughs) (laughs) This is the most pensive pontificating you've been in a long time. You're, You're going deep into this thing. I've really missed these stouts. Just wait. Spooky season's coming. We're going to get fucking deep. I love you, man. I love you, man. I love horror. I do love horror. I love horror. I love the horror community. I love recommendations. Hello, everybody. I love you all. I love our listeners. <laughs> this is great. And you guys know where to follow us. If you don't, if you're a new listener, you can follow us on Instagram at Blood, Fear, and Beer Podcast. And if you have questions for us, if you want to talk to us, human to human. Bot to bot. Bot to bot. You can email us at bloodfearandbeer at gmail.com. You can do that if you have movie recommendations, beer recommendations. If you, you just want to say hello. If you're drunk and tired. If and you're sad. drunk and tired, if you just need somebody to talk to, we're here. We will read it. We will if respond. If you're taking a shit and a thought comes into your mind. Send it. You know what I think that movie is about? I'm going to tell you while I'm taking a shit. We want to hear it. I would love to hear other people's interpretations of It Follows. I know there's quite a few. Send it to bloodfearandbeer at gmail.com. If you feel like saying something nice about us, emphasis on nice, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It would make us very happy. Or just, you know, be honest. You can be honest, but if you if you have a constructive criticism, send it on Instagram so that other horror <laughs> fans can find us. <laughs> I think that's fair. Be honest. Yeah. Be honest on Instagram. All right. So we will be covering the host for our next episode. And until next time, keep it spooky. Cheers. Join us again for another episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer. Night and night. <laughs>